0: Well, good morning. It's uh, great to be here down at Shell Harbour with you. I counted it a privilege to spend this morning with the saints in another church. Uh, and we're going to spend some time this morning thinking about science and faith, or uh, I'll explain a little bit more where I want to go in a second. But you might be aware that certainly for the last probably 150 years, there's been a very strong narrative or story told in in the Western mind that science and faith are in conflict. There's an intractable conflict between these two things. In fact, one of of the books I came across preparing for this sermon uh, was titled Faith Versus Fact, Why Science and Religion are Incompatible. And... uh, I think this is kind of pervaded to the point that it's almost assumed to be true in the social consciousness, the kind of of water in which we swim on a day-to-day basis. And there's, you know, some leading voices in this area. There's a guy called Richard Dawkins. He wrote a book called The God Delusion. And he says, you know, kind of provocative things like this. You've got to chuckle. Faith is one of the world's great evils comparable to the smallpox virus, but harder to eradicate. (laughs) Or Christopher Hitchens, another voice in this area, one must state it plainly, religion comes from the period of human prehistory where nobody had the smallest idea of what was going on. It comes from the bawling and fearful infancy of our species and is the babyish attempt to meet our inescapable demand for knowledge. You know, that kind of story that, Faith is really something for young children. But when you come to terms with reality, you grow up and you see things as they really are. So that, you know, puts some questions to us this morning. Are science and faith in conflict? Can they be reconciled? And how might this be relevant to Christianity? I'm hoping that we'll get behind some of those questions this morning. I'll give you some introductory thoughts because this is a big topic, right? We're not going to cover everything, thank goodness, because you've got about 25 minutes of attention, I think. (laughs) Um, But I hope what we say will be helpful and maybe a little bit challenging. Let's pray. God, our Father, give us empty hands and open ears that we might receive from your word. And give us open hearts, Father, that we might be compelled and challenged by your Son, Jesus. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you'll speak through me this morning clearly, truthfully, and with power for the sake of your people and your glory. Amen. So I've got got four points that I'm going to make this morning. I'll give them to you up front so you can feel like you can follow along. The first is that Really, I think the conflict is not between science and faith, but between what you might call materialism and faith. Okay? That's the first point. The second point is that science, both its practice and theories, can be incorporated within a Christian worldview. The third point is that Christianity cannot be incorporated within materialism. Okay? Okay? And the fourth point is that Christianity reads or sees nature as creation. And that means we relate to God in nature in a very specific way. So they're my four points. And I hope they'll get us behind those questions that I raised before. So first point, it's not really a a conflict in my view between science and faith. But really, it's a conflict between what you might call materialism and Christianity. And I do worry about for some of the technical language here, but we can't get behind the questions without a little bit. So let me define materialism for you. Materialism is the theory or belief that nothing exists except matter and its movements and modifications. Okay. Now, really, since about the turn of the 17th, uh, 18th to the 19th century, materialists emerged in the Western mind and those materialists were almost always what you, we call scientific rationalists, okay? They believed in science and reason in a particular way because the scientific rationalist says there is no other evidence, there are no other evidences that have value except those things that can be verified by the scientific method. Okay? So these things go together. Materialism, there's only matter, and scientific rationalism. You can only really understand or believe things that can be verified by the scientific method. And you'll remember the scientific method somewhere back in high school, I hope. Observation, hypothesis experiment, verification, and the circle goes round. And if observations and hypotheses are repeated sufficient times, you can form a theory. So a basic understanding of reality. But what's really important here is the materialist or the scientific rationalist would have you believe that there is nothing but their method and the observations that they verify. But the truth is materialists and people of faith hold basic basic assumptions that can't be proved, Okay, Both do. So I'll give you a classic example. The Christian says there is a God. Now, I really don't want to disappoint any of you Christians in the room, but the truth is there's no way to verify that empirically by the scientific method, right? You just can't prove that there's a God. But what's often not stated by the materialist is the actual reverse is true too. You cannot prove that there isn't a God using the scientific method. Okay? So isn't that interesting? Two worldviews, but both have to have some sort of assumption that can't itself be proven. Alright? Now the materialist would have you not believe that, but it's true. And Christopher Hitchens, you know, one of these scientific rationalists. Interestingly said, that which can be asserted without evidence can be dismissed without evidence. Now, he was saying, oh, you, you people of faith who believe in God, there's no evidence, so I can dismiss you. But what he didn't realise is the corollary is true. He can't prove there is no God, so we can dismiss his view on that without evidence as well. Now, when it comes to materialism, what's very interesting is nobody or very few people actually live as if matter is all that there is. Okay? Most of the people you interact with and yourself on a daily basis believe things on trust. You haven't verified them by the scientific method. You just believe them on trust. You assume things to be true that can't be proven. Maybe even things like the love of your family members for you. You've got evidences, but can you prove it? Can you really access the deep recesses of their minds and do some sort of experiment? We don't live like that. And further, we all need certain things to live that cannot be explored satisfactorily by scientific rationalism. For example, truth, beauty... Justice and love, put those four things to you. We all need to think in terms of truth. We all need to believe there's beauty. We all need to have a commitment to justice, even if it's just justice for ourselves. And we all need love. But except for the question of certain aspects of truth and the scientific method, the materialist or the scientific rationalist has no good explanation for things like beauty, justice and love. I can tell you, read up the theories of these things from a materialist perspective. Number one, you'll go to sleep pretty quickly and number two, you will find that actually the meaning of those words is very quickly stripped away. For example, Dawkins said this, much as we might wish to believe otherwise, universal love And the welfare of the species, I would put it to you, you need to believe in love and the welfare of our species. As concepts, they simply make no evolutionary sense, Dawkins said. Is that that the sum total of what the materialist would offer you? Love, the welfare of species, our need for justice, well, they don't make evolutionary sense. Wow. Wow. That's pretty devastating, actually. And I'll put it to you that none of us actually live that way. For those who... I wanted to give some resources here today, maybe for you to follow up if you're interested. For those who are interested, there's a great podcast called Questioning Christianity, a podcast series, of, uh, a minister from New York City called Tim Keller, who's done, it's very short, available on Spotify, available on Apple, whatever your podcast provider is. Look it up, Questioning Christianity, even just the first episode on evidence and proof something to follow up from there. So that's the first point. It's not really science versus faith. It's really materialism versus faith. The second point, science, its practice and theories can be incorporated within a Christian worldview. A great example of this is a chap called Francis Collins. You might have come across him. He wrote a book Another resource, if you're interested, called The Language of God, A Scientist Presents Evidence for Belief. Francis Collins was the head of something called the National Institutes of Health in the US, essentially the US's biggest research organisation. He was the head of what was called the Human Genome Project that sequenced the human genome, in the, came out in the early 2000s. And Francis Collins, who is an eminent scientist, said this. The God of the Bible is also the God of the genome. He can be worshipped in the cathedral or in the laboratory. You see, science's domain is to explore nature, he said. God's domain is the spiritual world, a realm not possible to explore with the tools and language of science. It must be examined with the heart, the mind and the soul. And we can embrace both realms. Now, this kind of conceptualisation that there's a realm of science and there's a realm of other things, Collins calls them the spiritual realm, the heart, the mind and the soul. The idea that there's two realms was originally proposed by a paleontologist called Stephen Jay Gould and he called this the non-overlapping Two different realms, non-overlapping magisteria theory of science and faith. Now, I think there's real credence in that, but the truth is most people say that they're not non-overlapping. They are clearly overlapping. Okay? The realm amenable to scientific method and the realm of things like the soul, the mind, the spiritual realm, they are different, but they clearly overlap. And so that brings me to the third point today, and really I think the most important point to make, which is that Christianity cannot be incorporated within a materialist worldview, right? The previous point is that science can be incorporated within a Christian worldview, but the reverse is not true. Materialism, Christianity cannot be incorporated within materialism. And that's what brings us to the passage that was read second, this morning 1 corinthians 15 and what this passage says is that the bodily resurrection of jesus is a non-negotiable christian belief look at verse 17 of 1 corinthians 15 if christ has not been raised Now, we can't get behind that word raised or resurrection in this text, but it absolutely means bodily resurrection, not some sort of idea or spirit thing. If Christ has not been raised, your faith, the Christian faith, is futile. You're dead in your sins. The resurrection of Jesus is the belief that he lived like you and I, he died like you and I will die. But he went through the other side into a completely different kind of physical existence. Okay? That's what, now that by definition is what we would call metaphysical or supernatural. It's beyond materialism. And it is absolutely the ground on which we stand. Read verse 14. If Christ had not been raised, then our preaching is a waste of time. And your faith is a waste of time too. Okay? So there may be a spectrum of belief amongst Christians on all sorts of other issues of science. Okay? There might be a spectrum of belief. I'm open to quite a lot of them. But on this, there is no alternative. The resurrection is a non-negotiable Christian belief and the resurrection requires some commitment to the metaphysical or the supernatural. Now, it's interesting, and I I think this is really interesting. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 12 to 19, Paul a pre-scientific method kind of thinker, actually posed the question in a fundamentally scientific format, right? You might say that the hypothesis of modern materialists is that Jesus couldn't have been raised because resurrection never happens. Now, go back to high school, right? If your hypothesis is resurrection never happens... In order to design an experiment, you need to state a null hypothesis. Does anyone remember that? From high school, people are nodding and other people (laughs) are... Anyway, if your hypothesis is resurrection never happens, the null hypothesis could be phrased like this. No one has ever been raised from the dead. Okay? Resurrection never happens. That might be the materialist perspective. The null hypothesis is no one has ever been raised from the dead. So the experiment becomes, can you show that somebody has at one point in time been raised from the dead? Is that, that's the experiment, really. And the Christian contention is, no, nobody else has ever been resurrected. We take that. Right? Ancient people weren't stupid in the same way that you're not stupid. You've never seen somebody raised from the dead. Ancient people had never seen somebody raised from the dead. But if you can show that one person has been resurrected, then all of reality explodes open. And how we think about the world must be transformed. Now, we don't have time today to sort of go through the evidences for Jesus' resurrection. But I can really witness to you that they are compelling, they are profound. And a couple of weeks leading up to Easter, if you've never explored them, you might want to get a very short book by a guy called Lee Strobel, The Case for Easter, right? It's just a short little book. In fact, John will buy you a copy if you go and talk to him. <laughs> right? At the end, he'll say, I want a copy, John... I'm- well, I'll, I'll, text, I'll sort of transfer in the money afterwards, But <laughs> just to be fair. But, yeah, if you want to explore that, you might do Because if only one person has been raised, then whatever you think about the rest of life and the world suddenly explodes open in a different way. So, first point. It's not really science versus faith, but materialism versus faith. The second point, science, its practices and theories can thoroughly be incorporated within a Christian worldview. Many, many, many Christian scientists are doing this every day. Third point, Christianity cannot be incorporated within materialism. And there's one event that can transform how you see reality and it's the resurrection of Jesus. And the fourth point that arises from that commitment to believe in reality is something that is mediated to us through the resurrection of Jesus is that Christianity reads or sees nature around us in a very specific way. And that's where we turn to Psalm 65. Because this is a psalm that really exemplifies the way in which Christianity reads nature as creation. Effectively, you can see in verse 5... It is the awesome deeds of God that the psalmist is singing a song of praise about. Now, before verse 5, those awesome deeds have to do with the forgiveness of sin, right? Maybe you're here today, you've come into church, you think to yourself, I don't believe all of this stuff. Well, one of the offers of the Christian faith that is held out to you is there's nothing you can have done in life that is so bad that God doesn't love you more, right? Right? I wish I could talk about that some more this morning, but that's verses one, you know, verses one to four is all about that. God will forgive whatever you've done. He's made provision for that. But from verse five on, the psalmist explodes into a song of praise about God's awesome and righteous deeds that are substantially to do with the natural world. Because the Christian faith says nature is created. All that we see in the natural world is made by God and it's ruled over by God. And more than that, in Psalm 65 it says because of those things, nature is created and ruled over by God. There is correspondence between what we see around us in the natural world and the person of God. Now we can't really dig into this very much but look, just look at verse 6 and 7 with me. Effectively, this says that when we see these great and mighty things in nature, we can reflect on the power of God. And what does that give us? It gives us reassurance in living our lives. There is a powerful God. In verse 8, when we see things in the world that confound us with their beauty and majesty, we are in awe. But that awe isn't sort of generic and diffuse. That awe concentrates on the person of God as we worship him. Is there power in nature? That is the power of God which gives us reassurance. Is there magnificence in nature? Yes, that is the thing that raises in us awe and we can worship God for it. And from verses 9 to 13 as it reflects on kind of an agricultural life, maybe some of you are farmers, I don't know, it says that in nature God makes provision. He gives benefit to us. And so we can respond to that with gratitude to him, right? We read nature as creation. Power is power of God, gives us reassurance. Beauty and magnificence lead to awe and worship of him when we experience the benefits of nature, we see them as gifts of God and we give gratitude to him. Isn't that wonderful? How much better a story about nature is that than the story of the materialist, raw matter that has no relevance to you except that your body's made of this stuff. So... If I can draw together some threads here of those four points into some conclusions for you that I hope are a little bit compelling, but we can debate it afterwards. The materialist or the scientific rationalist, in a sense, needs to pit science against faith. They have to pit science against faith. And they do so almost always by emphasising a kind of powerful historical progress of knowledge. And they particularly focus on certain historical conflicts. And you talk to a materialist, they will almost always raise the battle between what you might call the Copernican Revolution or Galileo and the Catholic Church and the way in which... The world came to understand that the the earth was not at the centre of the universe, but the sun was at the centre of the universe, right? They will say, oh, this is obvious the way that science wins over faith, okay? The second thing that they will almost always raise is the Darwinian revolution, right? That Darwin has come up with a theory, an explanation of how nature could be what it is around us that is independent of a creation narrative. Okay, they'll almost always... And then occasionally they'll talk about miracles. Do you believe in miracles? This is almost always what comes up. Now, the first thing I want to say is that the the stories told about Galileo and the church and that conflict are almost always historically wrong. You can look it up and look into the history and it's a much more complicated story than science versus faith. The same with Darwin and creationism. I mean, Francis Collins, that scientist I mentioned, is a, he runs an organisation called BioLogos. You can look it up if you're interested to check that out. Which is really an organisation committed to understanding modern biology in terms of evolutionary theory, but also understanding the work of God in intelligent design. Okay? So, you know, these things, scientists, materials, always have to pit these things in conflict, But as I said before, the Christian faith has a way of understanding these things that doesn't necessarily result in conflict. Now, why do materialists have to do this? Why do materialists have to do this? Well, I would suggest to you it's because it masks profound problems with materialism itself. And I'm just going to throw some questions out to you, just in case you're a materialist in the room today. There are major questions that materialism just struggles to answer, like, where does matter come from? If all you believe is in matter, where did it come from? Very difficult question to answer. Or, how does the apparent purposeful design of complex biology arise? Dawkins, you know, the God delusion guy, wrote this, I have no explanation for complex biological design. All I know is that God isn't a good explanation, he says. So we must wait and hope that somebody comes up with a better one. Isn't that interesting? Dawkins himself has to wait and hope. He couldn't use more biblical words (laughs) for a future that is not yet apparent. Or another important question what is the value of human life? What is the value of human life? It is no surprise that when Darwin's theories were published, even though he didn't espouse this, they rapidly became a movement called Social Darwinism, Darwinism, which almost certainly underlies the rise of the Nazis and the Holocaust, Okay. Now, that's, that's called an, uh, uh, an argument of reductio ad Hitlerum. Some people say you can't argue like that. But I just it's very important you understand that there are implications of materialism and Darwinism that end up in places that the human race does not want to end up in. Okay? Or David Hume, another atheist wrote, but the life of man is, no great, uh, is of no greater importance to the universe than that of an oyster. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe the sum total of your life matters no more than an oyster? Or what about this question? Why is sacrifice laudable? Why do we think sacrifice is something that we praise? If you're a, you know, died in the wall, parochial Australian, why do we even think about Gallipoli? Why do we think that that matters? The materialist really struggles. There's nothing to say. There's nothing substantial to say. Or a final important question that you might... ..that I would put to you is, what hope is there when suffering comes? What hope is there when suffering comes? Dawkins again. Nature is not cruel. Nature is just pitilessly indifferent. One of the hardest lessons for humans to learn. We cannot admit that things might be neither good nor evil, neither cruel nor kind, but simply callously indifferent to all suffering, lacking in all purpose. I dare you to walk into a hospital room with a dying relative and suggest that that offers any meaning, any significance, any power. So... Should we take science seriously? Oh yes, we should take science seriously. I'm a scientist myself. Science offers a powerful method, a critical approach to living in this world that can yield enormous benefits to us. Okay? I don't want to get into a vaccine, no vaccine debate, but you know, if we didn't have COVID vaccines, you wouldn't be in church today. Okay, and that's the work of science, right? So glib or superficial or dismissive responses to science from Christians are usually unhelpful, Okay, They're usually unhelpful. But at the same time, I want to say to you, science is limited. Science is always provisional. It's always open to revision. So putting too much weight on science to the extent that you might become a materialist, is also incredibly unhelpful. Francis Collins again. Will we turn our backs on science because it's a perceived threat to God? Or will we turn our backs on faith, concluding that science has rendered the spiritual life no longer necessary? Both these choices are profoundly dangerous and deny truth. Collins writes both will diminish the nobility of humankind and both are unnecessary and back to the quote I said earlier but it's a good one to remember the God of the Bible is also the God of the genome he can be worshipped in the cathedral or in the laboratory his creation is majestic awesome, intricate and beautiful and it cannot be at war with itself So let's take science seriously, but let's not put too much weight on science. And what I would suggest to you this morning is that Christianity offers a profound and compelling worldview. And it explains our human experiences, it explains why we find awe and joy in nature as if it's been created. The beauty which defies materialism, the beauty in sunrises or the surf. I'm kind of hoping to hit the beach maybe this afternoon. Sunrise or the surf or in mountains or the rainforest or in butterflies or birds. You see, the the correspondence we see that we experience as awe and joy really accords with what nature actually is, which is God's creation. But more than that, Christianity offers a profound and compelling worldview because it accords meaning to life and relationships. And that meaning in life and relationships is also what accords with our experience our experience of the kind of centrality of love. That we mourn when we see human suffering, that we get angry when we see evil. And we want justice. That when we see sacrifice, particularly self-sacrifice, we think that is a life well lived. And when we see people who are in need, we are compelled in empathy for their vulnerability. All of those experiences simply accord with the fact that we are made, we are created in the image of God. So science, is it against faith? Is there an intractable conflict? I don't think so. Does Christianity say something about the world that is better than science alone? Absolutely. Absolutely. Can you be a Christian and a scientist? Well, I hope so, (laughs) for my sake. And will you believe in the God of truth, beauty, justice and love. Well, I hope that you will. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we ask this morning for your grace and kindness in each of our lives that we might see your work in creation. We might find joy in the resurrection of Jesus. And that we might look to serve you in truth, beauty, justice and love, for Jesus' sake. Amen.